just thinking about uh, his faithfulness and uh, resting, how many of you have ever gotten tired of anything? How many of you have ever been tired of just coming to church? Go ahead and raise your hand. It's, it, if you're not careful, it'll become laborious, something you have to do on Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, special events, revival, whatever it might be. How many of you have ever been tired in your relationships? It could be even in your marriages. Look at marriages today. Uh, are having so many troubles. Why? Because I think one of the reasons is we have too many things in our lives. We're too busy today, and if we can't actually achieve what we're after today, then we'll go to the internet, and everything we ever wanted on the internet, we can look up and see. Is that true? And so this rest is something that's it's very hard for us. When you, when you would hear that in church service and for the Lord telling you to rest, we have to go back and say, where does that come from? And just thinking about it, I was looking it up real quick, 2, Timothy, um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13, Paul tells the Thessalonians, listen, do not grow weary in doing good. And what is the good that we have to do? The good is the godliness that we have to do. The worshiping of the Lord Jesus Christ has got to be a priority in our lives today for us personally, but also for our families, because what happens is you'll just get tired of it. It doesn't matter what it is, eat steak every night for two weeks and see if you like steak. Eat ice cream over and over again. How many ice cream cones do you like after you've had about six? Anybody ever eat, eaten six ice cream cones in a row? I have. Seven is not as good as number one or two or three. Especially the superstars or the drumsticks. Y'all like the little chocolate in the bottom. you got to work all the way to the bottom and get that little bitty bite in the bottom. Y'all understand what I'm talking about. But what happens after so much of it, if you're not careful, if you don't use it appropriately, what happens it becomes old hat or something, I want something new. We're going, we chase after the new constantly. And, and that's, look at television. All the things you don't have is they're trying to tell you, get these and this will satisfy you. I want to tell you today, you'll never find satisfaction in any relationship. You'll never find satisfaction in any kind of financial gain. You'll never find satisfaction in anything in this life if you don't have a personal love relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The people of Israel, they had it made. They, had, they were God's chosen people. Hand-picked by God saying, I'm going to do something. Actually, through Abraham and through his, this chosen generation that he has, he said he would bless the nations. Anyone who blesses Abraham will be blessed. God did it to demonstrate his love and his power. Uh, uh, just a little bit ago, Mike referred to Joel as maybe not such a positive book, but it, it, in light of God's love, it has to be told. Isn't that correct? If you tell your children, don't play in the street. If you live near Whiskey Road, there's houses right on Whiskey Road. Don't play in Whiskey Road. Why would you even ever tell your children no to, not to play in Whiskey Road? Why would you? Because you know there's a likelihood of them getting injured or killed on that road because it's so busy. Same thing in our lives today. When we read through the book of Job, we go, what is this all about? Someone even asked me, why is there bugs on the bulletin? Well, these are the locusts, obviously the plague. And Joel has, as a prophet of God, he has people, he's telling the people, look back, look back, but he's also telling us to look now and then look to the future. This is older than us. Obviously, Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, was dead, buried, and resurrected in three days. So this material that we're reading today is well over 2,000 years old. How can it be applicable to us today? That's the good news about our God that we serve. The God of the Old Testament is still the same God of the New Testament. We're in this very special time we call the church age or the time of the church because this was a mystery to the prophets of old. They never 
prophesied about this day of the church being here. This was something that Paul says, I'm telling you a mystery. And this mystery is that Jesus, God, came from heaven to earth so that he might die for his people in this time that we have today called the church. It's not going to church, it is being the church that we have to be responsible for. But as we look at this prophecy of Joel, we look back and say, oh, we can see that. We can see the destruction. I showed a video a couple weeks ago, the swarming locusts and the crawling locusts. And I don't know if that was beneficial to you, but we don't have locust swarms often here. You have a few bugs. We have gnats and mosquitoes. We don't have locusts often. Um, Close thing we come to it is cicadas, right? We hear them, but we don't see any damage. And so as we look, and we heard the shofar last week, and some of you said you almost had a heart attack when we played that. Uh, How's it going to sound when the voice of the Lord says, come up? Because that's what we're listening for. We're waiting on the shofar, not really the horn, because that was for Israel, but the voice of the Lord, like the voice of an archangel telling us to come up. Let's turn to the book of Joel, Joel chapter 2. Now, your scripture I have there for you is verse 15 through 27, but I want to kind of set verses 12 and 14 by themselves because we ended in verse 11 last week, and then we want to pick up and take off full speed. A lot of information. Mr. Mike got you some handouts, so I do have an information handout for repentance, for repentance at the end of service. Make sure you get one of those. And each week I'm trying to add to the sermon because you need all of this information. There is no possible way to preach all of this in one setting or even in one month, in four weeks. So uh, we're going through this at a clip. But I want you to grasp what God is trying to say to his people. And today, listen, if we are the people of God, we are his people. He's talking to the chosen people of Israel and I believe he has a word for the church today. And some of you will hear this, uh, and I'll get into definitions one Sunday if I can, but we don't come to a place to argue who's right on Scripture. Did God choose a certain race of people, a group of people? Yes or no? The Hebrews were chosen. Does the Bible say that we've been predestined or we're chosen or known by God before the foundations of the earth? Yes or no? So you say, well, I don't like that, and I don't like all those, those thoughts of that. Here's the deal. Talk to the one who did it. Talk to the one who made you. And today he said he would that everyone would be saved. God has opened up a a blanket, if you will, for everyone in the world. Even Jesus himself, when he walked the earth, he was talking to Nicodemus, an old man that was supposed to be a religious old man. He said, listen, for God so loved the world, Nicodemus, that he gave his only begotten son, that's me, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have what, church? Everlasting life. That's a unique relationship that we have based on the blood of Jesus Christ. Why do we sing about the blood? It's because it's our only salvation. We only have salvation in Christ's blood alone. If it were not for the death and the burial and then the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, we would have no hope. When we take the Lord's Supper, we take it the first Sunday of each month, what do we say? We read the scripture that says, this do in remembrance of me, what I did for you, but also, what are we doing? We're looking back to what he did for us, the church, but what are we looking forward to? His return, let me ask you a question. And whatever your eschatology is, whatever your expertise is, you don't know everything, and neither do I. Here's what I do know. Did he come to this earth, and we celebrate at Christmas. You're going to celebrate at Easter, right? Did he come? Yes Yes or no, did he come? 100% he came. And we'll celebrate it, right? Twice a year, we'll celebrate it. Every year, the rest of our lives, we'll celebrate. He did come. He did die for our sins. He was resurrected. And listen, he, he's forevermore alive. He said clearly, is he coming back? Do you believe that? Is Jesus coming back? Yes. And we talk about the rapture of the church, the quick taking away of the church. We'll get in, hopefully, that. We'll get into the book of Revelation. 
But there's also, Joel's talking about something beyond that, and this is the second coming. So the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus is two different things. So don't get those mixed together because sometimes it sounds confusing. The rapture, he's going to be splitting the eastern sky saying, come up. The second coming, he's coming here again. Well, he's coming back to the earth, and we'll have more conversation about that, but Joel's going to mention it. He gives us almost like those little cheap little Polaroids. Y'all remember the Polaroids we had as a kid? They were like this big, like a brick. Now the kids today have these small ones and snap out little Polaroids. It's never a perfect picture, but it gives you a fuzzy image of what that is. And that's what Joel's doing. He's giving us a picture because he's looking from a vision from God, saying, listen, I am a prophet of God. What is Let's get it straight. A prophet of God... Hears from God, God speaks to the prophet, the prophet speaks to the people. Got it? Who was the final prophet? Jesus Christ. Now he's going to mention the priest here as well. What was the priest's job? The priest would obviously be mediators. You'll see that in your notes. They would hear from the people and go to God, God on their behalf. Oh God, and they would cry out to God, God. And then God would speak, and he would speak to the prophet saying, go tell the people. The prophets would come up and say, listen, you people. And the prophets would even address the priests. Listen, you priest, right? You better get it straight because if the people of God who are in leadership don't get it right, we mess up all the people, don't we? Amen? You got a boss at work. It happens in secular work as well. Does anybody have a messed up manager? Don't raise your hand because they might be watching today or they might be in the building. Anybody got a messed up leader in, in, your, in your workplace or school, wherever you might be? The answer is yes, because there are sinful people leading everything on the planet. Even in the house of God, God allows and somehow chooses people that are not perfect to take his perfect holy word and broadcast it out to the world. Here today, we look at the book of Joel. Let's get into it together. Joel chapter 2, and let's understand we're not perfect people, but let's see if we understand this like a child would understand this. All the plagues have happened. The field is barren. Fire has devoured the place. It's drought city. There's no food. There's no food for the wild animals. God talks about the prophets telling, telling us clearly, there's nothing. There's not a grape on the vine. There's not mild or, uh, mold or mildew not found anywhere. Everything's destroyed. There's no food. There's nothing even to offer to God for worship. Worship is dead because the people allow their worship to die before the day of judgment come. God warned and he warned and he warned, don't let your hearts, don't let your hearts get hard. Don't get used to being used to. And the people did because they loved it their way. They were very much would have eaten at Burger King back in their time. Would they not? Amen? They wanted to have it their way. And so what the Lord said, don't do this. Stop, stop, stop. And then all of a sudden, here comes the judgment of God. And there's a big warning saying there's a future judgment coming. But there's also a future promise coming. And this is the good news. Remember, the Bible tells us in 1 John, God is what? He's love. So we read these judgments, we read these consequences of their sin choices. We must go back to the remembrance of God is love, and he does this because he loves the people, and he's holy, and he calls us to be holy as well. So let's jump to together. Joel 2, beginning there in verse 12. Now therefore says the Lord, this is after all the destruction, turn to me with all your what? What does your Bible say? What is God saying? If your heart is turned away from God... Listen, you're turned away from God. Your heart is the core of mankind. Turn your heart back to me. How do you turn your heart back to God? Well, he's going to tell us. Watch, he, he, there's, a, there's a doing it God's way report right here in the Bible. If we do it God's way, what do we get every single time? God's results. Every single time we, we get it because he's a God of faithfulness and promise. 
Turn to me with all, I circle that in my Bible, A-L-L, your heart, with fasting. That's turn to me with fasting. Turn to me with weeping. Turn to me with mourning. Does anyone know what fasting is? If you had to preach this message today in this portion of Scripture, could you teach it? What is fasting? Giving up food specifically. You can give up something. And our Catholic friends are giving up Lent 40 days. They'll give up chocolate for 40 days to think about Jesus. That's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about giving up the internet. He's not talking, he's talking about going without food so you feel that, that pain. You say, well, my medical condition won't allow me. Then listen, God understands your medical condition, does he? So make some agreements with your doctor on what you can do to fast. But fasting specifically is food and all the luxuries of life. Stay away from those things and get right with God. Just come with him or to him with a broken, contrite heart, as Mike talked about earlier. This is what he's asking from the people. No, he's demanding from the people. He says, so rend your heart, break your hearts, not your garments. Because in the old time, their time, they would tear their garments when someone passed away or when they were in mourning. They would throw dust on their head to show everyone that they're sorrowful, they're, they're crying. God said, don't tear your clothes, tear your heart. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. What does it mean to return to the Lord? What's happened before you return? If you go on a vacation or you go on a trip and you say, I'm going to return home, what are you planning to do? You're planning to go back to where you belong. And this is what God's saying to the people, come back to me because this is where you belong. Do you think that's a word for the church today? Uh, we've gotten so casual in all of our relationships with God, uh, and many people just call him, and he is our Abba Father, talking to him as daddy and just this guy up in heaven that's going to see me through. Uh, he's going to break all my chains because I got all these chains. Listen, a Christian should be releasing their chains every single day, amen? He's not just a chain breaker. You can actually get more chains and get more chains and get more chains. He wants you to be set free. He wants you to walk and live in victory. He says we're overcomers through the blood of Christ. He knows we're going to actually have wars. There's never going to be end of war. If you're praying for world peace, you're wasting your prayers. There's never going to be world peace. Not as long as mankind, mankind's in order. We pray for the peace of Israel. Israel's never going to be existing without war. Israel will always have war. Always. Why do we pray for it? Because the Word of God says so. Because God's ultimately going to bring it when He rules and reigns here. We call it the millennial period. A thousand year reign of Christ here on earth. And then forevermore. Do y'all know, just as a side note before I get to it, because you're going to see it. Do y'all know what the Bible says where New Jerusalem is going to be? Where is New Jerusalem? The Bible says, and I don't understand this, it's not a spaceship, so don't get this in your head, but the Bible says New Jerusalem is coming from heaven, and it's going to be where? In Jerusalem. There's a new heaven and new earth coming, but the New Jerusalem is going to be in Jerusalem. So you think God has favor on that land? Yeah, that's his land. He'll say it more than one time in the scripture. Look for it today. The New Jerusalem is going to be there. How, Lord? How are you going to put it there? He didn't tell us. He just said it's going to be there. Where's the new heaven and new earth going to be like? You can argue about that until you're blue in the face. You don't know either, right? Is it going to be? There is a new heaven and a new earth coming. The Bible says very clearly. Read Revelation 21. Those things we should not be the experts on. We come back and say, the Lord said it. It's done. And I happen to believe it. I'm one of those who believes it. So Paul, uh, Joel's writing here with poet, poetic words. Return to the Lord your God, verse 13. For he is what, church? He's gracious and he's what? Merciful. We just sing about his mercies are new. Slow to anger and of great kindness. And he 
relents from doing harm. Well, here we go. Did God change his mind? God's immutable. He cannot change. He will not change his mind. Did God know what he was going to do? The answer is yes, because he's sovereign and knows everything. This is words that we understand as humans that God took the famine. He took all the locusts. He took everything that was happening in a very bad way to the people, and now he's looking towards what's going to happen. If you repent, if you break your hearts and turn to me, if you do all those things, y'all, we don't even have any read the rest of it. What's going to happen? If, you, if the people do what he says to do, if they turn from their sins, they turn from their ways, the land's dry, arid, everything's dead. There's no, no food for offering, no food to eat. People are starving. The wild animals are craving food. There's no food. There's no water. What's going to happen to the land if the people turn righteously back to God? He's going to make it rain. He's going to, and, and even those words are here. I want you to relate those two R words, rain with righteousness. Rain with righteousness. You ever, what happens in basketball if you make it rain? Does anybody know? It's March Madness. Does anybody know? You're shooting a three, right? You're making it rain. You're just, you're just, it's happening over and over. It's the result that you've practiced for is happening. And God makes it rain is very much there because the people are turning back to righteousness. And righteousness is simply this. Right relationship, right fellowship with God. Understand it? Righteousness is explained just that way. Right fellowship because if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you cannot be in right relationship with Jesus. You have, to, you have to submit your heart, break your heart and say, God, I want to receive the free gift of salvation. Forgive me my sins come into my life. I believe God raised you from the dead. And the Bible says if you say that and you believe that with all your heart, you shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. But you can be in right relationship and be in wrong fellowship. That's where these people were. They found themselves in wrong fellowship with God. I've said it before from this pulpit that my kids can move to the uttermost parts of the earth, paint themselves purple, and say, I don't know that man. But they can't change that I'm their daddy. They came, their DNA is in, my DNA is in them, and they can't change who they are in relationship to me. They can break fellowship. They can say, I never want to talk to you again. I don't want to see you. I'm not going to communicate at all. That's breaking fellowship. Do you understand? Once you're born again, that lasts how long? Forever, according to Jesus himself, they shall have everlasting life. So you can't change your relationship once you're a Christian, but you can change your fellowship. You can get in so out of sorts with God, and you can get mad, and somebody can hurt your feelings. And by the way, if you come to a group of people, look around. Everybody look left and right. Go ahead, look. Somebody in this building is going to hurt your feelings eventually. It could be your husband, your wife, your children, your niece, nephew, person in front of you, behind you. Here's the deal. Just go ahead and prepare. Let's grow up a little bit. It's going to happen. I, I got a shower last night, worked in the yard all day, and come in, took a shower, and I'm like, did me and Wendy get in a fight? I can't remember. I come out and said, hey, Wendy, are we still mad at each other, or is there something we fought over? She goes, no, why? Shouldn't there be? I was like, no, I was just in the shower. I, I've been zoning all day just doing yard work, and I wasn't thinking, is there something I need to apologize for? She says, just go ahead and get one in for good measure. So that happens to us as men. We do forget sometimes, right? We want to be in right fellowship all the time because our relationship's not going to change. So same thing with God. When you get in right fellowship with God, after you're already in, listen, you can't get in fellowship with him until you're in relationships. Everybody understand that? You don't get the goods of being in the family until you get in the family and he's your father. Does everybody understand that? Does everybody understand that? You can't get into the fellowship Without the relationship, you must be born again. But once you're born again, 
you get all the abundance of heaven. You get everything at God's disposal given to you if you would only ask. You say, Pastor, are you saying we're going to get rich? I don't know. He might give you great riches. He might give you great health. He might do what he's done for Amy, and I know he's done for Wendy. He might actually give full, complete surgical success with no follow-up. I don't know what God's going to do in your life or in my life. But if we trust him day by day, guess what happens? When we live righteously, it rains in our lives. God brings blessings in our lives. He said, well, I've been serving him forever, and I'm still having hardships. Keep looking. There's something good happening in your life somewhere. Look, remember back when we were little, we don't sing it much anymore. What should we count? Count your blessings. What should we do? Name them one by one. What happens when you start counting your blessings? Let's do it. Matter of fact, right now, I'll take some sermon time. Let's do it. Somebody just tell what a one blessing is today. Just shout it out. Somebody, come on. He's alive. Family. Job. Food. Yeah, amen, brother. It's almost 12. I got you. The air we breathe. Salvation. Come on, y'all. Healing. House to live in, a place to live. Security. Clothing. Family. Sight, flowers, birds, ocean, mountains, right, vehicles, all the things that we take for granted. If we're not careful, we won't count them one by one. We'll just, I don't have, I don't have. In societies, the devil's like, yeah, you don't have. You don't have that. You don't have that. My former church, there was a very wealthy man walked in. He's a country man. We used to say redneck, but you can't say redneck anymore because it means something different. But he was just a country boy, and he found some way to repurpose all the cotton mills and the machinery cotton mills, and he's made a fortune out of it. And his name was Jimmy Gibbs, if you know him. And he came in to talk to the pastor one day, and I was walking down the hall, and it's like, Jimmy, is that a new Maserati? And he goes, yeah, I got two of them. I'm like, you want, won't you let me drive it? He throws me the keys. He said, I'll be in here about an hour. Take it up, I-26, or wherever you want to go. And I looked at those keys going, <laughs> I love going fast. If you don't know me, I love to go really fast. And I was so tempted, and I gave him back to him. But he gave me access to what he had because he didn't care. If I wrecked it, he said, I'll get another one or I'll have a spare. The man was a generous man. He really was. But he gave me access to his access. And I started thinking about how good the Father is. When we pray for something, just remember before we get into it, because we're about to roll there in verse 15, or verse 14, and then we're going to roll all the way through it. All right, we're going to go quick. We have access because of Jesus Christ. Amen. But we're sitting around like we're poor people, like we're sitting around, we have nothing, and we go, poor is me, woe is me. Count your blessings, name them one by one. When you start counting, you say, God is good. You can't help but thank you. Now let's go, verse 14, let's go a little pick up speed here. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? What does God leave behind him? After repentance, there's a blessing, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Whoa, wait a minute. And now he's talking about worship again. He's going to put the blinker on. God's saying there's going to be actually a grain offering and there's going to be an offering to bring back to the Lord's house. Here's another story, another day. Does the Lord want us to give of our financial blessings to the church? Well, to him, not to the church. We talk about tithing. People go, Pastor, tithing's not biblical. Where do you find the word tithe? In the Bible, right? It's in the Bible. We find out, and tithe means 10%. Here's what I want you to do. Malachi 3.10, we had to memorize this as a kid. 
Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now herewith, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so much that you can't what? Stand it. He said, well, this church just wants money. No, listen, it takes money to make things happen. And Derek won't ever turn your money down, I guarantee you. But here's what I want you to do. Test the Lord, because he says, test me and prove me now, says the Lord of hosts. Some of you aren't testing God because you don't trust him. I trust him for my salvation, but I don't trust him for my car payment. You don't. You don't trust him. You don't give a thing to the Lord's work. I do it in other ways, Pastor. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take 10% of your income, and then you'll get down. Is that, it's tax season. Is that gross or is that net? If you've got to ask it, you're not getting the right heart, right? You need a broken heart. Take 10% of your income. You may give it here at Town Creek. But just to show you, we don't care about your money. We want you in right relationship with the Lord. Take 10% and go give it to, to Millbrook. Take 10% and go give it to Cornerstone. But just give 10% to the Lord's work. Don't give it here. That way you know I'm not interested in your money because your giving is between you and the Lord. Amen? So try him, test him, and test him at another church. You still come here. We'd love to have you here. But give your money somewhere else, and that way you know we're not interested in your money. We're interested in your growth and right relationship with God. Because when you're righteous and right with God, then it starts to rain in your life. God always turns when you turn, and he leaves a blessing behind because God can't go anywhere without blessing the situation. He's everywhere all the time. He's so good. Let's go. Verse 15. Blow the trumpet. Here we go, the shofar. I'm not blowing it again this week. It's Zion. Here's some things we should do. And I'm going to go to your notes if you would. Go to your notes and we'll read these side by side because they match each other. Just as in verse 1, the shofar is commanded to be sounded. Here's the alarm. Listen to the alarm. Now God's given out, a, if you will, revelry. It's time to get up. God has something to say to those reaping the consequences of their sins. You did what you did, and now you got what you got. Amen? You ever been told that? And you ever been told, consequences have their choices, son? Yeah, a daughter. It was, that was self-inflection there. Here's, I want you to underline this in your notes. God always prescribes the way to right relationship and fellowship with him. What's the right way to right relationship? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. What's the right way to fellowship? Daily, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He is faithful just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is a promise to me and you. I love it because here's what happens. As Mike said, we're not, we're not, not perfect, are we? Not yet. One day we shall be glorified. But now go with your notes side by side with the scripture. The prophet Joel gave the people of God God's method for reconciliation. Reconciliation, putting the two back together. Man with God. God hadn't left. It was mankind that left God, not God leaving man. Number one, what should we do? What did your notes say? Look in the Bible or the notes. Blow the shofar. That's the ram's horn. Bring out the alarm. Sound the alarm to safety. What would you do today if you heard the fire alarm? It goes off in the building. It does that. We do it once a month here. What do the students do? What do the teachers do? What do the staff do? We get up and we walk out of the building. Why? There's an alarm. There's a test of the service, right? God shouts the alarm. Number two, what should we do? Consecrate a fast. Stop everything, even eating. Stop eating. That's what he said, which is this kind of funny. There's nothing to eat, by the way, just for the record. There's been a drought, right? The locusts have torn everything up. So it's pretty easy to do number two in this situation because they had nothing. Number three, gather the people. God wanted to concentrate, uh, concentrate his people. He wanted to bring them together. What does he tell us in the last days? Hebrews 10, 25. 
Forsake not. Do not stop gathering together as some have done so. And they walked away from the faith. Why do we get together like this? Look around. There's people from every background sitting around you. People that are professionals, people that actually are blue collar, white collar, you name the collar, no collars. I don't know what all everyone does. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you do unless you want to use what you do for the Lord and then tell me. So we'll put you to work in that situation. But it does not matter under the cross at the church. Jesus is a great equalizer because you don't have what you have unless God gave it to you. And you don't have what you're going to have yet until God gives it to you. We're all at a place of receiving and giving, receiving and giving. It's the way God works. God's a giver. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave his only begotten son. That's what Jesus said in John 3, 16. Well, gather the people because God wanted to concentrate his people together. He wanted them in one place. He wants them to hear the message. Because you know what happens if something's said at church. I've heard rumblings at church. I've even heard it in the hallways. I don't know why we're doing that. Why is Chris singing that new song? I don't know that song. Some of y'all thought that that was the last song, I'm sure. Was it words of affirmation that the scripture's true? We need to sing another hymn, Chris. You'll hear that eventually. Somebody's going to tell you you need a hymn. Somebody's going to tell you you need a more rock and roll song. Somebody's going to tell you what you need. Here's what we need. What does the Lord, we pray and say, Lord, what do you want us to do to worship you? Let us return back to you who we are and who you are. We didn't set up a worship service for us today. If you enjoyed it, praise God, but it was not designed for you. You were not the first person we were thinking about when we designed the worship service. You know the first person we think about each week? Jesus Christ. We try to keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? And if you don't like it, you can tell, I mean, you can share that with us. If you don't put your name on it, I just throw it in the trash. Put your name on it, right? We're open because the church speaks. This is the authority left here on earth is the church. We listen to the church, but not if it's a phantom because there's no such thing as a phantom. There's no ghost except the Holy Ghost. Sanctify the congregation. God wanted to consecrate his people. Now, he wanted to concentrate them, get them together, and then he wanted to consecrate them, and that's what the handout, the repentance handout, he wanted them to separate themselves, get away from the world, get away from your sins, get away from the things that take you from me, and get back to the righteous things, get back to the holy things, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord, and we're told that as a church today in 1 Peter. Then we're to verse 16, assemble the elders. God called out the spiritual leaders to lead in repentance. Who leads in repentance? The spiritual elders. Well, guess what? Who's your spiritual elders here? You can say staff. Yes. Then start here. Where does it start even for us today at the church? Who would be our, if we're called to repentance, which we are, who does it start with? You. If you got saved yesterday, should you mature one day later? Should you be more mature on Tuesday if you got saved on Monday? How about on Wednesday? How about on Thursday? Your sanctification is happening over and over. You keep getting set apart further and further and further from that sorry, sinful self that you used to be, and you're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. He says you've been justified, done, and now you're being sanctified day by day till one day you're going to be glorified in the presence of God. Listen, we're walking towards that day. And if you're one week apart, what if you're a year away from salvation? Should you be more mature a year later than you were the day you got saved? Then what's wrong with the church? Why are we sitting on our backsides doing nothing for the Lord? I'm afraid to go tell someone about Jesus. I'm afraid they might reject me. They're going to reject you. They crucified Jesus Christ on the cross. They mocked Moses. They 
killed the prophets? The religious people. This is not the people out in the world. This is the religious people. Crucify him. Crucify him. We're going to hear it in just a couple weeks. So are you going to be persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ? Yes, you are. And guess what Jesus says? Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Don't you want the blessings of God? Then put your nose out there in the weather for Jesus Christ. Somebody's going to knock it off. And you just pick it up and walk on. Because he said, never will I leave you nor forsake you. That's the Jesus that we serve. You say, well, that sounds cocky. Hey, listen, that ain't cocky. It's just confidence. There's a difference. Until when you mature, you understand it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Philippians 4.13. That means I can do it in the, when I'm poor and I can do it when I'm rich, is what Paul said. And he said, everything in between, I can do all things through Christ. I can persevere. I can keep on keeping on. If you need perseverance, listen, you've got to go through some pain to get the perseverance so that you might come out and mature. That doesn't make us excited. I didn't hear any amens on that. Because we don't like the pain. Lord, just make it fixed, right? Repair it. That's not us, right? As Christians, we, are, we used to sing onward Christian soldiers. We like to think we're on the winning side. We are. We're victorious. But y'all, there is no war without death and pain. Do you understand that? There is no victory without somebody laying down their life, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ, the victor who overcome death and the grave. That's who we serve. Well, let's continue what it says. After the elders, and by the way, daddies, grandpas, you're the elders in your family. This is your responsibility. Husbands, this is your responsibility. Then mamas and wives and grandmas, this is your responsibility. But it starts with you, the dad, the pastor of your home. You've got to stand up and be the man of God God has called you to be. And then it goes into children because there's children in this church. The children in my Bible class, the young people in my Bible class, the teenagers, I would put them up against any set of deacons anywhere in any denomination in this city or in this state. I would put them against a theological background and say, let's go through and let's compare my group with your group. Not that they're special, they are special to me, but they have saturated themselves with the Word of God. They hear the Word of God every single day. They hear it in math class and they hear it in other classes. We're not perfect by any means. But listen, they sit and they hear the Word of God. Do they like it? No. They hear preaching Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then they come in here and have to listen to me again on Saturday. They have to listen to Mike on Wednesday night. How much can one person stand? Don't amen that, teenagers. But here's the deal. They're growing up so quickly in the Lord. And they know the Word of the Lord. And they're going to stand for the Lord. They're going to make a difference for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's called us to do. Train up them the way they should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. That's parents' responsibility first. And then the church comes alongside. We'll look at number six. This is one of our core values of our church. And I love that the Lord put it in Scripture. Didn't know the Scripture. Knew it would exist, but didn't read it or in, in mind when we had our core values. Gather the children and the babies this was a multi-generational message. We value the multi-generation. Look around. We love the bed babies that are back there. The ones, you know, some of you mamas with the bump, right? New babies coming on the way. All the way through our senior adults and everybody in between. Look around at the different generations. Just have a look left and right real quick. We value our multi-generational makeup. Because, listen, it takes all. It takes leadership. Who's going to be leading us soon? Well, it's going to be the next generation that leads out. And they're leading even now in their young age. Look back to your notes. The bridegroom was to leave his chambers. The bride was to leave her dressing room. They were to stop normal life, normal living, and make God a priority. Stop everything, even your wedding. Stop it. Stop eating. Stop celebrating. Stop. Listen, just stop everything. Stop what's normal. Stop it. And then I want you to come out and watch what you did with the priest. He's going to call the priest out now. This is the prophet preaching to the priest. 
right? This is, today would be this is a preacher preaching to the preacher because the priests have messed up. They've listened to the people and let the, priests, let the people get all in the darkville. They want to get into unrighteousness, and they let them just mess around without calling them to repentance. Listen, listen, God's going to do something if you don't do something. I'm telling you, if you don't stop your unrighteous living, God's going to call you out. God's going to bring more locusts. But the priests have gotten comfortable too because, you know what? It's easy to preach about the love of God. It's hard to preach about the wrath of God because people don't like you. Amen? And when you tell somebody the truth, we're, we, we talked about this weekend coming, this Saturday coming. You can be praying for our Baptist Collegiate Ministry. They've invited a woman who's come out of the lesbian lifestyle to, to be a speaker. We're going to go to the pastor's conference on Friday with just pastors. And, and then Saturday, she was just going to speak to our BCM group. And now the Unitarian Universalists and some other people that are out there who believe differently, they say the Bible is of love, but now they're having an LGBT protest in front of the, where the kids are going to walk through. We need to be praying and we need to actually be out there and be strong in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Not to be crazy fanatics to yell at people and say you're wrong, but to share the love with them. One of our college students I won't mention said it's already caused action for her to share the gospel or at least speak into it about the love of Christ. We must be first and foremost out there. But listen, we must not stand for sin one iota. Amen? Don't tolerate sin at all. Love them. But don't tolerate the sin. We must continue to be the righteous people of God. So the priests, mediators for the people of God to God, they were to weep and call out to God. They were to weep and pray. You come up front. Listen, you want to be the leader? I've called you to be the priest. Now come up front and call the people to weep. You weep and you lead them in weeping and you lead them in praying. You know what the least attended service of any church in any time is? Prayer meeting. Everybody wants revival, everybody wants spiritual awakening, but nobody wants to do the work. They just want God to fall from heaven like it's some kind of rain shower and overtake us that we will just sing for 15 hours. Everybody's trying to go to Asbury and figure out how to go do what they're doing up at that college and they're trying to replicate it. Listen, you can't replicate a movement of God. You've got to break your hearts, get to the place that you're humble before the Lord, say, Lord, all this trash is in my life, all this stuff's in my life, take it away. I just want to get between me and you, Lord. Make, if you don't make anybody else right, I want to be right with you. That's what repentance is. I'm going to turn from my sins. I'm going to turn to you, Lord Jesus. And if nobody else walks with me, I'll walk that lonely, narrow path by myself. Because the path to life is narrow. Did you know that? If somebody calls you narrow-minded, how many times do you think I've been called narrow-minded my whole life? Mucho, right? Since I've been in the ministry, especially since I got saved. Jesus said that narrow is the way that leads to where? To heaven, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Are you on the broad way today or are you on the narrow way? Were these people, let me ask you this, you don't have to be a preacher. Were the people before, when, the, when all the famine comes, the, when the locust is taking over everything, eating everything that's green and destroying it, were the people on the broad way or the narrow way for God's way? They were on the broad way. We have the intelligence and the spiritual fortitude to actually look at something and say, that is sin. Can a man be a woman today? Call it out. Call your sinner to say, that is sin. As a holy people of God, we will not tolerate that in our town. We will not tolerate it in our city. We will not tolerate that in our county. But what do we do? I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to say anything. I can't even imagine being in the military today and having a cross-dressing officer. I would be dishonorably discharged from the military. I will not tolerate it no matter what. I will love them. I know that they're in pain and they're in hurt. But listen, I will not tolerate it as long as God gives me breath. 
He said, well, you're going to go to jail one day. And I believe the day's coming that I will be in jail for preaching the truth of the Word of God. Listen, you must say about it what God says about it. Amen? If you say what God says about it, it's offensive because God wants you to leave the unrighteousness and go towards the righteous way, towards His Son, Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit always says, this is the Word of God. This is what He says. Walk in it. You didn't say, Lord, but I don't feel like it. Imagine people didn't, well, I don't have any food. How am I going to, how am I going to do this? The Lord said, I'm going to leave a blessing behind so you'll have enough food to bring me an offering. Because that means you get filled, you get your percentage, and he gets his because you show him your heart. Let's go quickly. Verse 18 through 21. This is powerful. This is future looking in. This is also current. Let me go back to the scripture if you would. Then the Lord will be zealous for his what, church? His land. Is the land of Israel their land? Yeah. They didn't become a nation until 47, 48. And listen, I, I want you to, if, you, if you're interested, if you're a reading nerd like sometimes I am, Israel is going to, what's going to happen to Israel? Or what's happening today? This is in our time. Anybody born before 48? Anybody have a birthday? Stand up. If you have a birthday before 1948, stand up. I want you to look. Listen, this is, this is a biblical promise that's happening in our day. I ain't going to ask you when you were born, but listen, before 48, when y'all were in grammar school, listen, or who was born, who was in grammar school before 48? All right, when were you born, Bernard? I'll ask you. 37. 30, wow, 37. When were you born, Martin? 43. Wow, 41. 47. Richard? 39. We're in the presence of greatness, aren't we here? God bless you. Listen, give a round of applause. God, y'all been faithful for a long time. In 1937, whenever preachers were preaching, Israel will become a nation again one day. Everybody's like, whatever, whatever. Israel didn't exist in their lifetime when they were in grammar school. If they heard a preacher preach that Israel was going to be a nation again, everybody was like, okay, he must have his interpretation wrong. And not 10 years later after that, Israel becomes a nation. Israel was arid and dry and gross and just useless because it was just an arid country. The people who lived there, the Arabs who lived there, did nothing with the land besides use it, and it was scarce. Here's, y'all remember Tony Blair, the prime minister of England? Used to be. This is, this is the heading of this report. This is the Institute for Global Change. Can y'all believe I've referenced British people three weeks in a row? Here's the heading. Israel is not a natural nor sensible place for agriculture. That makes sense, right? If it's arid, dry. Listen to this. Two-thirds of the land is semi-arid or arid, and much of the soil of its poor quality. There is a shortage of natural water resources. A scarcity of prescription of Israel is far from key export markets. Most early immigrants tasked with developing the land had no prior farming experience and on arrival faced a deserted, or a deserted, barren, and swampy landscape. Despite such overwhelming challenges in its short history, Israel not only managed to create a remarkable agricultural transformation, securing national food security, and establishing thriving export industries, but also emerged as a global leader in agriculture and water management. How did it succeed? And it goes on for eight, 48 pages of telling you how they succeeded. It even goes back and references their promise of God. This is a secular, very secular report for the UN. A very secular report going back and saying, they, how did they do it? They keep saying, it's a miracle. And listen, when we read in the scripture, is it a miracle? 
Listen to what he says again with this report. This is a 2019 report, and it was referenced again in 22. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land. Where's Israel, the new Israel, going to be? In Israel, New Jerusalem is going to be right there. The Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you will be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations, but I will remove far from you the northern army and will drive him away into a barren and desolate land with his face towards the eastern sea and his back toward the western sea. His stench will come up and his foul odor will rise because he has done monstrous things. Fear not, O land. There's the land again. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done marvelous things. Do not be afraid. Afraid, you beast of the field, for the open pastures are springing up, and the tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine yield their strength. Some think that's a reference right there to Matthew 24. If you take notes, right, Matthew 24, referencing second coming of Christ. Everything's being refreshed. Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain faithfully. What is rain associated with? Righteousness. Don't forget that. And he will cause the rain to come down for you, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month, the threshing floor shall be full of wheat and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. So I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the crawling locusts, the consuming locusts, the chewing locusts, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. Then you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. I am the Lord your God, and there is no other. My people shall never be put to shame. Praise God. Amen and amen. Amen. This is the people of Israel. There's a promise for them, but there's a promise for the church as well. We have been victorious. Let me give you your notes real quick. If the people of God, if people did what God commanded through his prophet, then God would have divine compassion for the land and for the people. When the people of God repent and do life God's way, he showers them with blessings and protection. God, God further encouraged his people, verse 26, the last part. God further encouraged his people with promises of great things to come. They would have a hope and a future. Remember what he told Jeremiah? That's what he gave Jeremiah, 20, Jeremiah 29, 11, I believe it is. And finally, verse 27, God promised his people his divine presence. His divine presence, living in the presence of God. Isn't that going to be an awesome thing one day to see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face? You get to see him. I get to see him. And we get to experience his love, not from a distance or not invisibly, but we get to see him face to face. Here's the thing on your handout about repentance. Let me read this and I'll close with this. Repentance in the Bible involves a complete and irreversible change of mind, change of heart, change of actions. Repentance recognizes that our sin is offensive to God. Do you recognize that today, church? Your, your sin offends God. To repent means to make an, an about face, a heart directed turn away from self to God, from the past to a future ruled by God's commands, acknowledging that the Lord reigns supreme over everyone's existence. God is in charge because he's a God of love and he's a God of sovereignty. Amen? Let's pray together. Our God and our Father Lord, as we have opportunity just to hear, sing to you and, and praise you, Lord, in your presence. Lord, it seems almost like a dream or something that's far from us as we read these scriptures going, we don't fully understand, Lord, but we really do. Lord, we, we know that you came. We know that you're coming back. We know that when we live righteously, you protect us. We have divine protection. 
And Lord, we know that you have divine compassion even today on the people of, of, of Israel and the people of, of your church. You have a plan. But like us today in the church age, they must repent of their sins and they must come and give their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for somebody here today that's not sure if they're saved, that they just think they are because they've been baptized or they joined a church. Someone told them they were. Lord, convict their hearts that they will have a broken heart, knowing personally that they need to repent and give their heart fully to the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that they know that they know, so that, that knowledge will replace their fear. Father, those of us that are Christian today, we get into sin. Lord, help us to quickly run back to you, confess those sins, and get our hearts broken before you. And Lord, we might live abundantly, Lord, the abundant life you promised to us. We're not talking about great riches, Lord, even though you might send that. We're talking about just living daily in fellowship with you. As we have our opportunity to sing in this invitation, Lord, we're going to sing. We're going to do some confessing, Lord, in prayer. Lord, if you cause us to break our knees and to weep, Lord, let us weep for the sin in our lives, but also in our nation. Father, we would turn to your face. And Lord, we would see the latter rains. Because you're faithful, we love you in Jesus' name.